Hi, I'm Neil Cooper, and this is Assassinations Podcast. In this, the second of our many episodes between seasons one and two, we take a look at the life and death of King Radama II of Madagascar. He only ruled his island kingdom for two years, ascending to the throne in 1861. But in that short time, Radama changed the course of Madagascar's history. He opened up the country to European influence and, ultimately, French colonial domination. It was as a result of his dealings with the French that the king met his fate. He was assassinated on May 12, 1863 ruthlessly strangled by his own soldiers. Or so it seemed. Perhaps, perhaps, death passed over King Radama that day, for rumours would long persist that he had survived and fled into the remote jungle, where he lived out his life as a secret guide and hidden hero for his people. Radama II was the son and heir of Queen Rana Valona of Madagascar. His mother had ruled the island for 33 years, and she had ruled with an iron fist. Queen Rana Valona had fiercely defended her homeland from the predatory designs of the British and French empires, both of which saw the island of Madagascar as strategically important for their interests in both the Indian Ocean and Africa. The Queen was very protective of the indigenous culture of her island. She rejected European influences, persecuted Christian missionaries and their converts, and generally attempted to isolate the island from the rest of the world. Radama took a different view. He thought that Madagascar should engage with the Europeans, and he hoped to modernise his country. When Radama ascended to the throne, he ended his kingdom's isolation. He permitted freedom of religion, signed strategic agreements with Britain and France, and opened up Madagascar to foreign economic interests. In particular, Radama granted special privileges to a French entrepreneur named Joseph-Francois Lambert. He was given the exclusive rights to a number of valuable economic resources and government contracts. In exchange, Lambert agreed to give the king 10% of the profits from these enterprises. Radama's new policy was at odds with many of the traditionalists who had served his mother. They thought it was an affront to their culture and religion to allow these foreign influences to spread, and a disgrace to hand over swathes of Madagascar to the French to exploit. These traditionalists soon plotted the downfall of King Radama. Things came to a head, rather bizarrely, when Radama unilaterally changed the law to allow legal disputes to be settled by a duel. The king's ministers balked at this, objecting to the sudden change to their system of settling disputes, and fearing that a bunch of duels in the street would lead to chaos. In response, the head of the Malagasy army gathered thousands of troops and descended on the royal palace, demanding that the king hand over his pro-Western advisers. The king initially refused, but, faced with overwhelming force, acceded, so long as their lives were spared. 
Only a few days later, however, his opponent struck again. A group of military officers stormed the palace and seized the king. Then they strangled him. They would not shoot or stab Radama because it was strictly taboo to shed his sacred royal blood. The traditionalists offered the throne to Radama's wife. She accepted, but the assassins wanted a new system, one that they hoped would preserve their interests. So, a new constitution was established that ended the absolute power of the monarch. Instead, the nobility would have to be consulted on laws and matters of justice. The clock would not be turned back to the days of Queen Rana Valona. Foreign influence had just become a fact of life, and many of the traditionalists had developed their own ties to foreign business interests. So, good relations with the British and the French were to be continued, and Christian missionaries were allowed to stay. The new regime declared to the people of Madagascar that King Radama had committed suicide. His name was stricken from the public record, and it was made a crime to publicly mourn his death. Still, a rumour spread that Radama had survived the strangulation, reviving before he was placed in the grave. Reportedly, the men entrusted with burying Radama's body were shocked when he came to. Terrified that their king had come back from the dead in order to seek vengeance, they fled, later claiming that they had buried the body. It was soon reported that Radama was living in a remote part of the island, plotting a return to power. Wild rumours spread in the capital, with people claiming they had seen Radama and that he would sweep into the city at the head of an army in order to reclaim his throne. Fearing that these rumours were true, the traditionalist regime arrested and killed 16 of Radama's supporters in the capital, while hundreds of others were persecuted. But Radama did not make a comeback. Though several Christian missionaries sought him out, there was not a formal record of anyone meeting him. Radama only seemed to survive in the whispering of the ordinary people, who refused to believe that their anointed king had killed himself. These tales say that Radama lived for many years in the remote north of the country, dispensing wisdom and settling tribal disputes. Whatever actually happened to the man, his legacy certainly lived on. Madagascar had forever changed as a result of Radama's modernisation efforts. No longer isolated, the country became even more entwined in the geopolitical struggle between Britain and France for control of the Indian Ocean and Africa. Eventually, and largely based on the agreements that Radama had signed with Lambert, the French claimed authority over the island. France sent an invasion force in 1883, then declared Madagascar a protectorate, which the British eventually accepted. Madagascar was formally annexed as a colony of France in 1896. In 1947, a local uprising against French rule was met with brutal resistance by the colonial authorities. However, by 1956, France was forced to agree to a peace process that saw Madagascar regain its independence on June 26th, 1960. Thank you for tuning in to this mini-episode. We hope you enjoyed it. In our next episode, 
our final mini-episode before we launch Season 2, we look at the very strange case of Jörg Jentash, a church minister turned politician turned soldier who was killed by a bear wielding an axe. You know, the usual. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>